In this episode of the Flory Stroke podcast, I'm here today with Professor Vincent Tess, a stroke neurologist and clinician researcher. He has led stroke units in Belgium and is now the head of stroke at Austin Health. He is the co-head of the stroke division at the Flory Institute of Neuroscience and Mental Health. His main research topics include acute stroke imaging, genetics of stroke, atrial fibrillation, and cryptogenic stroke. I'm Tessa Marshall, and this is Scientists of Stroke by Flory Stroke. Welcome to Scientists of Stroke by Flory Stroke, where we discover how researchers at the Flory Institute are working to prevent stroke and reduce the impact of stroke. You can follow us on Twitter at Flory Stroke and find us on Facebook at Flory Stroke. Hi Vincent, thanks for joining us today. Good morning. Um, so can you start by telling us a bit about your research? Um, <clears throat> my research spans uh, different areas uh, of the whole uh, stroke uh, continuum, which starts in the pre-hospital arena and ends in uh, uh, people living at home with the consequences of stroke. Uh, in the uh, acute stroke phase, uh, we're very excited with some new developments uh, that we may discuss today. Um, we uh, participated in a, in a large-scale randomized study uh, called the WAKE-UP trial. So uh, in uh, this trial, we were able to show that a particular subset of people uh, that woke up with their stroke symptoms actually uh, could be treated with a clot busting agent, whereas previously they could not. The problem you see is that uh, we can, uh, in most people, stroke onset is very well defined. People uh, uh, or the family members notice that the person is unable to speak or has problems with uh, their uh, weakness or facial droop. And then they can go to the hospital and get treatment if they fall within four and a half hours. However, uh, in uh, patients that wake up, you don't really know when the stroke occurred. It could have happened one minute after they went to bed or one minute before they woke up. So MRI is the technique uh, that uses um, the magnetic properties of, uh, of uh, protons. And uh, the, the technique is... Uh, very sophisticated uh, technique that allows to look at different parameters inside the brain. And so with this MR technique we uh, started investigating this uh, uh, about 10 years ago. Uh, we just did a very simple test in patients that had a defined onset of stroke. We looked at their MR pattern and we saw uh, what they looked like when the strokes were early and when they were late. And then we translated that to people that woke up with stroke. And, and to our surprise, we found that uh, many of them had that, the same signatures, early onset or late onset. Um, but that wasn't enough. We thought before we can start treating these people, we really have to provide evidence that uh, that signature really is predictive of onset. And the only way to do that conclusively was to do a randomized controlled trial. And so we took about 500 people, and half of them received a thrombolytic agent, and the other half received a placebo, and they all had the same uh, pattern indicative of early stroke. 
and uh, we found that uh, actually they benefited uh, from uh, from uh, thrombolytic therapy and the effect was similar as if people were treated within the conventional time window. Um, unfortunately, this didn't apply to all patients that woke up with stroke. Um, this uh, pattern was only found in one third of the people, and uh, for the two, the, the, the remainder of the patients, we still have to find other treatment strategies. Now, this trial uh, comes at a very <clears throat> good time in stroke treatment because a few months earlier uh, two other studies uh, found that uh, in people that wake up with stroke another treatment a more aggressive treatment where you uh, take out the clot uh, not via medication not via clot busting agent but uh, through a, um, a technique called thrombectomy or a clot retrieval, which is an endovascular way uh, to go uh, at the site of the clot. And they were able to show that also there, a subset of people that wake up with stroke and have another imaging pattern dramatically benefit from this therapy. What's nice to know is that we now have two treatment options and, and uh, that they have all been proven in, in, in randomized controlled trials, which is yeah, what we really want uh, as the foundation of our therapy. Great. So now you can treat people better who have been working, who have working up with stroke. Yes. Um, mm -hmm. And that applied to one third of patients, did you say? Uh, one third of the people that wake up with stroke, yeah. They, and they have this uh, pattern, then they can be treated. And the pattern is present about one third of them. And how many can be treated with clot retrieval therapy? Uh, the clot retrieval probably applies only to... Uh, 2% of global stroke patients, but you know, it's like chemotherapy, you start providing treatment options for more and more patients in different phases of their disease. And we hope, obviously, to be able to treat everyone, but there are logistical issues, as you know, many people arrive with stroke late or they're discovered late with stroke. And for these people, that therapy could also be applicable now. But uh, there's still a lot of work to do to implement those things. Uh, it's nice to show evidence, um, but now people have to start applying that evidence. And we know that uh, doctors and healthcare systems often uh, have natural barriers to implement those therapies. So what sort of strategies could you use to overcome those barriers? Well, first of all, of course, you have to disseminate the evidence because uh, it also takes a lot, a lot of time before people... Uh, uh, take up new evidence. Secondly, uh, guideline committees have to read the evidence and be convinced that it's worthwhile. And then at your individual hospital, you have to start uh, working with the radiology service, for instance, to, to provide the MR access for people in emergencies, which is not that easy to implement um, because typically people are on a schedule and very it's an elective diagnostic and suddenly we have to change their way of thinking into an acute therapy so there's all a lot of little steps that have to be taken before actually these therapies can be really implemented um, sometimes also there is there are some regulatory issues and hurdles that need to be overcome uh, so uh, and then people have to be convinced by the evidence and sometimes uh, evidence is overwhelming and sometimes the evidence is just at a particular threshold and every physician and team has their own threshold before they start implementing a therapy. 
So a lot of hurdles, but it's very exciting to be at the forefront of, of such uh, advances. Yeah. yeah, it sounds very promising mm -hmm. at the moment. So hopefully that's implemented soon. What are the options for patients who don't fit those criteria? Well, we, we have uh, pretty good evidence that every patient that has a stroke needs to be admitted to a specialized stroke unit. Um, their uh, trials have, uh, have shown already 20, 30 years ago that people with, um, that are admitted in such a specialty uh, unit uh, have uh, less complications and have better outcome return to home sooner. So that's that's definitely some something that can apply across the board. Every Australian, every person in the world can can benefit, and it's not a very costly therapy. Um, and then uh, for people, uh, so so th those would be the options for people that fall outside of current thrombolytic or thrombectomy clotting treatment criteria. Yeah. So does this mean that um? when any patient wakes up with a stroke that ideally you'd want them going straight to MRI? Well, well look, we have these two conflicting therapies at, this, at the moment where um, either they're a candidate for uh, clot retrieval thrombectomy or for uh, intravenous therapy and it's hard to determine at the onset. Uh, now, in, a, in, a, in an ideal world, all patients could go to the MRI scan but uh, we think that, uh, especially in Australia, that's difficult, but some countries have, uh, have uh, easier policies towards MR, acute MRI. Um, so what, what uh, some sites do is uh, first screen whether they uh, fulfill criteria for endovascular thrombectomy, and that's based on CT scan. And then if the patient doesn't fulfill those criteria, they get an MRI. Of course, it's a little bit of a logistical nightmare to have to uh, move the patient from uh, the ED department, MRI, CT scan, MRI scan, and then stroke unit for treatment. But yeah, that, that's probably the way people will do it. And other sites can uh, can uh, give readily access to an MRI, and then the whole uh, treatment decision can be made in one go. So they'd receive a CT and then an MRI. Or they can go just the MRI can tell all the information at the same time. But it's just harder to implement, and mm -hmm. the volumes are probably a little bit too big for many. Uh, uh, departments in Australia. Mm. So what are the plans for the future of this research? Well, I think uh, there are um, still uh, a lot of questions that remain unanswered from the clinical trial itself that we need to focus on particular groups of patients um, that uh, who see who benefits most. Uh, can we identify, can we come up with a treatment strategy that selects uh, patients for clot retrieval or not. Uh, do we have to give thrombolysis before the clot retrieval in patients with that particular pattern that I mentioned? Maybe we can combine both therapies and we get an even bigger effect. That, that could be possible. So uh, <clears throat> there are other signatures on the MRI that can help determine whether a patient will benefit or not. So lots of research questions that can be answered from the clinical trial itself and, and future avenues there. Um, and then what to do with the other two-thirds that don't seem to, that, that we haven't tested. Um, maybe we're, uh, we're very restrictive in only allowing those with that only single pattern to receive treatment. And maybe there are other patterns in there, hidden in there, that could benefit.
yeah, so trying to find similar patterns in yes. those patients that don't fit the criteria yep. at the yep. moment. So how do you see the role of CT changing in stroke in the future? Well, I think one uh, the, the, the units will become smaller uh, and the, the be best example of that is the CTs that are in the mobile stroke units um, in the ambulances. So that's maybe an exciting technology that will become more and more widespread in the near future. Um, the CT scan uh, in acute stroke uh, is sort of the workhorse. Uh, it started uh, because of its unique ability to immediately distinguish two types of, of stroke. One where the vessel is blocked and there is what we call an ischemic stroke or one where a vessel is ruptured and that we call a hemorrhagic stroke. And the CT was able uh, to immediately differentiate that. Um, and uh, I think at the moment there are no uh, really big advances in CT for stroke except that we will always be refining that the, the uh, abilities to distinguish tissue that's already dead or uh, that is still amenable for therapy. Uh, we, we think that maybe the MRI and CT will become equivalent but yeah, there, will, there will still always remain particularities with each technique. What inspired you to pursue stroke research? I think it stroke in itself is a field where I saw as a resident that so much needed to be done. When uh, I trained, most people with stroke were looked after not by neurologists or stroke specialists, and often, uh, I remember the first time I saw a patient with a very severe stroke uh, in the ED, um, the cardiologist looked through the curtain and saw, oh, it's a stroke, close the curtain, and said, bring the patient to the ward, and that was all he did with the stroke. And now, if you see the dramatic evolution where that patient will now make a good chance of full recovery, in about 20 years, that's quite amazing. That's such a fast progression in research and implementing yeah, that's that. fantastic. Wow. Yeah. So why is your research important? I think the research that I do tries to be um, clinically translatable or in the long run lead to novel therapies and treatment strategies for patients. So it's very patient directed. Great. Well, thank you for joining me today, Vincent. It's been a pleasure. Thanks. I'm your host, Tessa Marshall. To hear more about Vincent's work and about other stroke research at the Flory, check out our other episodes on Podbean and don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Flory Stroke. <laughs>